Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. That last phrase is the, the kind of the desire, the prayer of this text that as we live our lives, as those who have things and uh, could be considered the rich in this present age, that the heart of our giver would just be seen present in our lives, that they would see him in us by the way we use our things. We do live in a wealthy society. I understand that as we compare ourselves to one another, there are varying degrees of, of wealth and, and status even here in the United States. But if we are to step back and look across the globe, I think we have to admit that we live in one of the wealthiest societies in history and we as a people in general are wealthy people. We ask questions like, should I save or should I invest? What should I do with my money? Questions that uh, people in other countries don't even have the the privilege of asking. We debate uh, whether we're on the right track financially. Do we have the best financial plan? Am I saving enough for retirement? Our Our culture is full of financial questions and answers, whether right or wrong. Everyone wants to know what to do with their money. One of the things I enjoy about today's passage is, in some regards, it's God's answer to that question. (laughs) What are God's instructions for the wealthy? Well, we have them right here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Apostle Paul is writing to a man named Timothy. Timothy was a pastor in the city of Ephesus, and he's writing to Timothy and giving him instructions for how he should lead the church. And though this letter and and this specific text is written to Timothy, it does have correlations for us today. Because Paul's instructing Timothy on how he should lead the church. And specifically in this text, interestingly enough, he's telling Timothy what he should command the rich to do. So technically speaking, this is a a passage most directly applied to pastors. (laughs) Pastors, here's how you should command the rich. So I'm trying to do my part today by submitting to this text and bringing it to us all today. As those who live in a wealthy culture, what, what are God's instructions for us on how to use our money? As we walk through this text, you're going to notice that the Apostle Paul uses the word rich frequently, at least four times in these three short verses. And the way that he does it, he begins and uses it in terms that we would understand, right? Thinking of wealth. But he begins to shift, and the word rich begins to be used in terms of rich in good works and rich in generosity and rich in eternal wealth. And so Paul's going to kind of reorient our idea of what it even means to be rich. That it's not about dollars and cents, it's about our hearts. And are our hearts reflecting the generosity of the one who has given to us, the giver? So today we want to understand together how we can live a life that reflects the heart of the giver. How do we live in such a way that people see in us what God's heart is like, how He gives 
And how can our lives, the way we use our things and possessions and money and so forth, reflect His giving heart? So as we dig into this text, we're going to have some instructions, and all of them will help us reflect on how God has given to us and how we can reflect that in our lives as well. So number one today, we can live a life that reflects the heart of the giver by hoping in God, not riches. When we hope in God, when we trust in God, we show that we, that we trust Him. We show that He's trustworthy. We show that He is a faithful and good giver. And in fact, this is the command of verse 17, isn't it? That they should not be haughty, but instead trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So we put God's giving heart on display when we hope in Him instead of riches. So look at the phrases of verse 17 with me. Paul begins by saying, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Now, rich in this present age is a contrast with the future age, eternal life, as he's going to reference later in the text. So if in this life, our earthly life, we have money, we have wealth, we can ask that question, what should I do with what I have? (laughs) Paul says, don't be proud, but instead... Trust in the living God. The first phrase is not to be haughty, not to be haughty. And this means that we should not think highly of ourselves because we have money. We shouldn't take confidence in our wealth. We shouldn't see ourselves as safe or as strong just because we have riches. There should not be this proud self-assurance We can think of it this way. It's that sense that uh, I'm doing well, I have lots of money, so I must be doing something right. Or it can even go to the extent where we might say, uh, I have more than other people, therefore I am superior, and certainly God sees my superiority as well, and that's why He continues to bless me. It's pride. Thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And so Paul warns Timothy to warn the rich, don't be haughty. But he also says not to trust in uncertain riches. This is an interesting phrase because if you were to break it down, uh, the object of the verb trust is actually don't trust in uncertainty, which is riches. (laughs) So uncertainty is actually the focus of our trust. When we trust in riches, we trust in uncertainty. When we hope in or or, or set our desire upon riches, it's always uncertainty. We know that in this life. We've experienced that. Uh, The the rise and fall of the stock market, the fact that there are thieves, as Jesus points out, who break in and steal, right? Uh, We know the uncertainty of riches, and so Paul's reminding them, do not trust in the uncertainty that is riches. When we do this, we tell ourselves things like, well, let's say, for instance, your car breaks down. And the first thought that comes to mind is, ah, well, it's okay, I have enough in savings right now to cover this, so, so it'll be fine. You see, what we're doing, the, the first place I turn there is to, ah, it'll be okay because I have money. Paul's saying, don't trust in riches, instead trust in the living God. That means maybe my first thought instead is something along the lines, ah, the car broke down, but it'll be okay I trust God. He'll take care of me. He's a giver. My needs will be met because I have Him. 
And so Paul encourages us not to trust in the uncertainty that riches are, but instead in the living God. Riches are not alive. God is living. And Paul points something out about him. Notice the final phrase of verse 17. Trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Meditate on that phrase for just a moment. Trust in God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Paul points actually not to the riches of God, not to the fact that God owns everything. Paul points to the heart of God, God who gives. The phrase is actually trust in God, the one who gives all things. He's the source. He's the giver. But not only does he give all things, not only does Paul point to his heart, he's a giver, Paul points to the way that he gives. He says he gives us richly. And already that shift in the meaning of the word rich has begun to move. (laughs) It's not just having money, but now we have a God who is giving richly to his children. All things come from him. But there's one more part of that phrase that we sometimes forget, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Here again, you sense more about the heart of our giver. All things come from him, and he gives us richly, but what is his intent in giving to us? Our delight, our enjoyment, to enjoy his goodness and his giving heart. And so, Sometimes we get stuck in this, you know, as a Christian, I just can't, it's like zero fun life, right? So I have to be serious and down all the time and give everything away and can't enjoy anything. And we, we miss sometimes the point of God's good gifts in our lives is not to enjoy them in and of themselves, but as we delight in what He's given to remember the source that the Father has given us richly all things. Why? To enjoy, so that we delight in Him, so that we hope in God, not riches. See, this is what He's like, and and when we trust in Him, when we hope in Him instead of riches, we put on display to the world what our God is like. When we are a people who are just at peace, not worried about the things that come and go, when something comes that's fun and exciting, we enjoy it freely and delight in the God who gave it. And when He sends it off in another direction again, we're not in despair because we're just, just hoping in God. He's got this. Think of the message that sends to an onlooking world that we're a people that hope in God, not riches. And this is one of the ways we put His giving heart on display around us. Prosperity can be one of those things that, that just devours our devotion to God. And God didn't intend it that way. He intended instead that when blessings come, that we delight in Him and we praise Him and trust Him even more. The Puritan Cotton Mather uh, was alarmed in his own day by the trend toward materialism in the old New England society. And so in his book, he wrote the following words, Religion begat prosperity, and the daughter devoured the mother. 
Mather was noting a common, though not inevitable, effect uh, of Christianity. Authentic conversion to Christ often uh, changes people's lives so that bad habits fall away and they become uh, better workers and uh, more responsible managers. They live out the scriptures. And as a result, sometimes it results in economic prosperity. But tragically, in many cases, the new prosperity and material wealth devour the same Christianity that gave them birth, especially in second or third generations. When we hope in riches rather than God, we we drift from the Lord, we worship the wrong thing. And it doesn't show, it doesn't put on display the heart of our giving God. The, uh, the Super Bowl is coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, two of the best teams in the NFL will play one another for the title of uh, champion. One of the best uh, players in the NFL ever to play is named Tom Brady. Uh, CBS Sports, at least, uh, voted unanimously that he's the greatest of all time. So uh, you can disagree with them if you want to. But He has recently retired from playing football as quarterback. He appeared in more Super Bowls than any other football player and won, he appeared in 10 Super Bowls and won seven of them. There's no other football player that has done anything like that. He played in the NFL for 23 years. But back in 2005, I think after his first three Super Bowl wins, Feels funny just to say that. But anyway, his first three Super Bowl wins, he was in an interview with uh, 60 Minutes. And he said the following to his interviewer Man, I'm making more money now than I thought I could ever make playing football. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? It's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be all that it's cracked up to be. What else is there? The interviewer asked, well, what do you think? And he said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. You see, riches, victories, Super Bowls don't satisfy. We cannot hope in those things. They will fail us every time. Instead, we trust in God. We hope in Him because we know what He's like. He is the source of all good things. He's the giver. So we trust in Him. Hoping in God instead of riches involves a number of things in our lives, and we've talked about them briefly already. First of all, to, to avoid pride that, that looks at what I have and thinks, my, thinks of myself as somehow better because I have it. No, our worth is found in Christ's love for us. If you want to meditate further on that, uh, the old song, my worth is not in what I own, meditates on that very thing. How God blesses us with so much, but my worth is found in the blood of Jesus Christ. Something for you to look at and consider. Next, in order to hope in God, not riches, we must stop trusting in the uncertainty that is riches. These things come and go. They, they go and pass. And so I wonder, how often are we you know, checking our bank accounts, opening up our bank app, and wondering, oh, how much do I have in my account? Okay, phew. I can breathe easy because there's enough in there. No, 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 breathe easy because you know what God is like and you trust him. We begin hoping in God instead, remembering that he's the provider, that everything comes from him. And as we show that trust to the world around us, we reflect the hearts of our giving God. 
remember the gospel in this. The gospel is what Paul in another passage describes as his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That, that God would look upon us as sinners and love us by sending his son Jesus to become a man, to live a sinless life, to die in our place on the cross, to rise again from the grave, to offer us forgiveness of sins and salvation by trusting in Him alone. How generous is it of God that it's not something we work for, but simply believe. That gospel truth is that foundation of that generous heart of God that we see played out over and over and over again. And so remember His rich giving. He gives richly all things. Enjoy His gifts. Sometimes we forget that we can do that, not the gifts themselves, not so that we'd worship the thing, but with gratitude to God. We were enjoying a meal recently with uh, some of Carrie's family, and they had smoked a brisket. And, uh, and so we were cutting into this thing and just delighting in uh, the meat. And, and we got talking about brisket, and I, I asked the ignorant question, uh, what part of the cow does this even come from? And the one who had cooked it for me, my brother-in-law, said, well, the brisket. <laughs> it's a muscle in the cow or near the shoulder. And he began describing it to me. And I began wondering, I wonder if God created cows with a brisket just so we could enjoy smoked brisket together. I don't know. But so we spent some time together just talking about delighting in God's creativity and all the different things we can eat. Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? The food actually doesn't have to taste good, right? God could have made it just to be nutritious and taste bland, right? But he made it colorful and delightful and it tastes good and brisket. <laughs> How kind is our God, and so to, to, to enjoy things like that with delight in Him as the giver. And that He's good and kind when we don't have brisket as well, right? We can trust Him in the ups and downs because we know what His heart is like. And so delighting in His good gifts when they come and saying, Blessed be the name of the Lord when the Lord takes away. All of these attitudes help us to live in a way that reflects the heart of God, the supreme giver, hope in Him, not riches. Number two, as Paul goes on in the text, we're going to see the second way we live a life that reflects the heart of the giver is to be rich in good works and generosity. In verse 18, he breaks this down. He explains how, how we are to be rich. Again, shifting the meaning of that word rich. It's not about dollars and cents. He says here... Be rich in good works. He says, let them do good. The command is actually very short. It's just do good. And of course, goodness is not uh, grounded in what we see as good, but in the goodness of our God. This is still reflecting on the heart of God. Who is the very definition of good? God is. He is good and he does good, as the Psalms remind us. And so when we think about doing good, it's always in line with the goodness of our God. He's good. And when we do good, we just reflect his goodness. We reflect his goodness. So he says, do good so that they will be rich in good works. So don't worry about dollars and cents. Instead, be rich in good works. 
The final two phrases point out heart attitudes. He says, ready to give, willing to share. Both phrases have in them the meaning of generosity. And I think it's significant that the command is not to just give everything away. If you have things, get rid of them as soon as you can. That's not what he says. He says, have the right heart attitude. Be ready to give. Be willing to share. So that as God has blessed us with things and money and possessions, the way we think about those things is, okay, Lord, these are yours. You've given them to me. I'm ready. I'm willing to give and to share as you see fit. If this item that I'm just stewarding for these few moments, few years, if you want me to pass it on to somebody else, I'm ready to do that. Just make it clear and I'll do it. So there's this heart of generosity that's just always ready to give and to share whenever the opportunity may arise. So those who are wealthy are to be instead rich in good works and generosity, developing generous hearts. Carrie and I were in a coffee shop recently, and uh, we spent a number of hours there, and at the table to my right, Carrie's left, next to us, um, was an older gentleman who had been doing some work while he was there, and uh, you know how it is in, in coffee shops, right? You make brief eye contact at times and, you know, give a little smile or a little wave or something like that. And he, he packed up towards the end of the day and, and left. And, and so we thought he was gone and, and, and didn't uh, have any further conversation with him. And then all of a sudden he just showed up at the side of our table. Uh, he must have been curious uh, who we were and what we were doing. And so he began conversing with us and asked a few questions and what, what are you up to? What, what business are you in? Why are you working so hard? And all of these kinds of things. And we began talking with him. And he said, you know, I just feel compelled to give you something. And he, and he pulled out of his pocket a wad of crisp $2 bills. Have you ever seen a $2 bill? Many of you have. Uh, they're not really in circulation anymore, so you don't see them very often. But he pulled out a $2 bill and he, uh, he said, I, I want to give this to you. Uh, he said, I, I do this from time to time. I keep them with me. I just, I just want to be a generous person, and, uh, and so I just feel compelled to give you this. I know it's not a lot, but it's more about the meaning of it. And so he began to tell a story about how at one point in his life, he'd been receiving these emails that they found some property that he had, he had inherited in his family name, and he just needed to reply to it, and he's like, I thought it was scam, so I ignored him for years. Uh, turns out it was true. And he had inherited some property and ended up being able to sell it and uh, receiving a large sum of money uh, as a result of that property. And so that what he did is he set aside a portion of that money and went to uh, somewhere. I don't, he, he said where. I don't even know where you can do this. But he went somewhere and, per, and, and you know, transferred that money into $2 bills. And they were able to give him that portion of $2 bills. And so he has wads of $2 bills lying around, I guess. And so... so uh, God had been good to me. God had been generous to me. And so I passed these along as a means of trying to be generous to others. And, and, uh, and so I wanted to give one to you just as a reminder of, of God's generosity. So, wow. Well, thank you so much. Right? Now, you know, there's, I don't even know if we could get a cup of coffee at that coffee shop with $2. But the message meant something, right? And, and, and the story was a reminder that, hey, here's somebody who's trying to develop uh, doing good works and, and generosity in his life, and I appreciated that. 
You see, it's not about the money, it's about being rich in good works and generosity. This is what our God is like. He is good and does good. And so he encourages us to reflect his heart by doing the same things. Now, these verses are all connected for a reason. Because applying verse 1 significantly helps us, or excuse me, verse 17, uh, the first point, significantly helps us to apply the second point, verse 18. Because if we're trusting in God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy, then it's not as difficult to be generous, to be rich in good works. Because I'm not trusting in the thing that I'm about to give away. I'm trusting in the one who gave it to me in the first place. And so it begins to lead to lives that are ready to be more generous because we trust the giver. So instead of asking questions about whether my account is full enough, we can ask ourselves questions like, well, do I get more excited about purchasing something new or about giving something away? Am I more committed to bringing things in to my life or being a blessing to others around me? A question that is often convicting to me is to simply ask, what if somebody asked me if they could have this thing? It doesn't really happen much in our society. We don't ask that question very often. Oh, that, that's really nice. Could I have that? Right? It's culturally awkward for us. But it's been a question that's been helpful to me at points to, to, to kind of sense my own heart's attachment to things. <laughs> If, if someone came up to me and pointed to this or that or the other thing and said, you know what, we really are facing a need in our home right now, could we have that? How would I respond? <laughs> I, I saved for years for that thing. I picked out just the one I wanted, just the color I wanted. I researched. This is the best one on the market. Oh, yeah, just give it away. I'll, bu- I'll buy you one. Tell you what. I'll buy one for you, right? Get you a cheaper one. We get so attached to our things. And so that question, am I ready to give? Am I willing to share? Somebody came up to me and asked me that question. Once I got past the awkwardness, would I be willing? Say, you know what? It came to me from the Lord. I'd be happy to bless you. Now, you're going to ask me for something after the service, aren't you? I see where this is going. But it helps to check our hearts, doesn't it? Is there generosity there? Am I ready to share? Because I trust the one who gave it to me in the first place. Again, this heart comes from a heart that hopes in God. Are we developing generous hearts that are seeking to do good? And I love that Paul says to do good and to be rich in good works because this is not even about money, is it? Doing good is not a financial command. It's just... Reflect the goodness of God by doing good for others. So that could be an encouraging word or sending somebody a note or uh, giving them a phone call to talk with them. Hey, how you been? How you doing? What's going on? Can can I encourage you with what God's been doing in my life? There are all sorts of ways we can care for one another and do good in each other's lives. They don't even have to be financial. Just reflecting the goodness of our God. We come to then to the final verse Where number three today, we're going to learn that we reflect the heart of our giver when we store up eternal riches. When we store up eternal riches. In verse 19, 
there's actually not a direct command in this verse, except a description that when these rich believers are doing good, ready to give, willing to share, they will also be, verse 19, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So when we invest in doing good, in being generous, we are at the same time storing up eternal treasure, eternal riches. Now, the Apostle Paul's mentioning this, I think, is meant to turn their focus away from the earthly riches, this present age, as he mentions in verse 17, to begin setting their hope in eternity, to begin looking for the time to come, recognizing that by good works, I store up treasure in heaven. And that's just another sweet blessing from our giving God. It's not directly pointed out in the text, but do you notice what that speaks to us about the heart of God? God didn't have to make it that way. He could have just commanded us to do good works. <laughs> but God has designed it in such a way that as we do good in this life, as we reflect His heart in this life, He rewards us. We begin storing up riches in eternity. God didn't have to do that. He has made us partakers of the very inheritance of Christ, we're told in Scripture. Talk about generosity. You know, we think often about savings plans and long-term investments, right? And you might even get in some kind of, you know, 30-year investment where you put your money in, you let it grow for 30 years, and then see, see how it comes out. To my knowledge, verse 19 is the longest investment plan known to man. God's eternal investment plan. You do good through your life, and store up treasure in heaven. That's a generous God. Greatest return on our investment we could ever imagine. And so Paul's trying to shift their mentality about what it means to be rich. And now he's telling you, no, no, be rich in good works and therefore also rich in heaven. Rich in the life to come. The final phrase, that they may lay hold on eternal life, is interesting the, the, the words translated eternal life, I think it is a correct translation, but it's actually literally true life. That they may lay hold, that they may begin to grasp, to get, to understand what is truly life. Giving. Generosity. And as he points to eternity, he's pointing to that life which is really our true life. Think about it. If we live a long life, we'll make it 80 years, maybe to 100 years, maybe just past 100. Okay. Now let's compare that with eternity. All right, so store up as many riches as you can so you've got those 100 years to enjoy them. But what about another 100 years in eternity? But that's the thing about eternity. It doesn't end after 100 years. There's hundreds of hundreds, hun hun hundreds of hundred years, right? Into thousands. And, you know, this is one of those moments when our brains just can't 
quite grasp it because it just, you, you look out and it just keeps, keeps going and then there's another hundred year life and 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 why store up riches in this life when I could be storing up riches in that true life, that eternal life? And God's given me a way to do that, that as I do good, as I reflect his heart in this life, I store up treasure in heaven. Now, of course, Jesus taught this. You're familiar with his teaching. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. One of the ways we set our hearts on the Lord and on his eternal home for us is by investing in eternity, turning uh, short-term paper dollars that will burn up into eternal riches by doing good, by reflecting the heart of our God. I shared the example of the man with the $2 bills. But the longer I talked with him, there was a concern that, that came up. He, he began to describe how he, he thought living a generous life guaranteed that generosity would return to you. So he began to explain further about the $2 bill. He said, now, the two do- I don't know if you know this, but the $2 bill represents prosperity and generosity. That's part of the meaning of the $2 bill. And went, okay, well, you know. So I I want there to be prosperity in your lives, and so I'm giving this to you. But, he said, it only works if you give it away. So now you have to give the $2 bill to somebody else, and if you do, you'll experience prosperity from God in your life. Ah, interesting. (laughs) Interesting. You see, what he had done is he had started really well. Right? God had been generous to him, and he had this desire to be generous to others. But where he drifted astray was that by giving, it was a way to actually store up more present riches, to be prosperous in this life. And, and some you know, trade plan with God, if I do this, he gives me this. But that's not the promise of God, is it? Now, you may remember studying 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, where we saw that there's that proverbial principle, right? If we sow generously, we'll reap generously. It's a good principle, but it's not a promise unless you include eternity. And the reality is, if we sow generously in this life, the promise here is we will reap generously in eternity. That is guaranteed. And so part of the goal that the Apostle Paul has for these believers is to lift their eyes from the present life and to look onward to eternity, to their true life, their eternal home, and to store up riches there. Live a life that reflects the heart of the giver, storing up eternal riches. This begs a few questions in our lives for us to answer. One question is, are you ready for eternity? These promises about storing up riches in the life to come, they're promises about God's future kingdom, God's eternal kingdom. 
And the teaching of Scripture is very clear. Flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God, and a person who's not born again cannot enter the kingdom of God. A person who has any unrighteousness cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so I wonder, are you a citizen of that future kingdom, God's eternal kingdom? Nicodemus wondered the same thing, and, and Jesus talked with him and explained the answer to, them, to him, and he said, ah, to, to enter into this eternal kingdom, you must be born again. And he explained that God sent his son, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish into eternal separation from God, but have everlasting life, be born again, and enter into the eternal kingdom of God. How? Believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, why Jesus? Because He's the one God sent to be the Savior of the world. He's the one who never sinned, which made Him the perfect one to bear our sins in our place on the cross, to die instead of us. As the Son of God, He rose again from the grave and ascended on high making himself the perfect Savior, so that any who trust in him receive forgiveness of sins, life everlasting, in a place in that eternal kingdom. Friend, have you trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior? Are you born again so that as you live this life, you can begin storing up riches in that eternal life? If that's not something you've done, I encourage you to think about that today. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. If you have, then I encourage you to keep your eyes fixed on that eternal life. Keep your eyes fixed on those riches in heaven and most of all to treasure God himself who has loved you with his everlasting love. Are you living for your true life? Are you living for that eternal life, doing good and being generous, reflecting the heart of God in the way that you live your life, recognizing that joy is not found in possessions. Joy is found in God. In living His way, our lives must reflect the heart of the giver. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19 becomes the financial planning seminar for Christians. And it's less about money than we would expect. In fact, it's meant to turn our focus to our God, the one who gives us richly all things to enjoy and that we would hope in Him and not riches. And then instead of worrying so much about where all of our dollars are going or how many are coming in, He encourages us to reflect the heart of our God, a heart that just seeks to do good, to show the world what our God is like by being generous and ready to share. And then finally, he turns our attention to the generosity of God in promising us eternal riches as we live for him. And so we set our, our goals there in heaven and not on earth, storing up eternal riches by living for the Lord. Live a life that reflects the heart of the giver. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for being a giving God we don't even fully understand it. We, your word tells us that you are generous and giving, and we see it portrayed in the gospel. 
but I know that we do not know the full extent of it. And so I pray that as a people today, we would delight in your goodness, your generosity, your kindness to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That as we reflect on the things we have temporarily, our, our, our money, our, our possessions, our, our vehicles, our furniture, our, our electronics, all these things, they're not ultimately ours, but that you have for a time entrusted them to us in your generosity and goodness. And as we enjoy these gifts, Father, help us to delight in you, to hope in you, to trust in you. So that as you give and as you take away, we may always say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Help us to trust you. And Father, then as we trust you, help us to be a people who put on display your goodness, your generosity, to be rich in good works, storing up treasure in heaven. Help us to live lives that reflect your heart. We thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.